Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to finish, Lord willing, we'll finish this chapter tonight. Philippians chapter 2. Read with me, if you would. We'll read verses 25 through 30. Philippians 2.25. Yet I suppose it necessary, supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he was, had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but all on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him, therefore, the more carefully, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service towards me." And so we'll finish this chapter tonight, this passage right here. And just to give a little background, so, you know, when you just kind of jump in and you read five or six verses and you're not sure really what's going on, just to refresh us all, to keep us on the, on the same page, to understand uh, that Paul was in a Roman prison. Most, most Bible scholars believe his first stay in a Roman prison, that he, he didn't know it at this time, but he was going to be released from the Roman prison at after this day, what he was waiting, he was awaiting either his trial and or verdict. So we're not sure if he'd been tried and waiting the verdict or if he was waiting on the trial and verdict, but he was in prison in Rome. Uh, Paul had been in prison in Philippi when he was bringing the gospel to the Philippians the first time. Timothy was with him at that time. Silas was with him and in prison with him. And Epaphroditus was a member of this Philippian church. He was a member of the church at Philippi. And so uh, what, we, what we're seeing here is in this chapter especially that, that Paul or the word of God is holding up examples for us. First he holds up in, in verses 5 through 11, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Held him up as the example of all examples. Amen. Who was obedient unto death even death the death on the cross. And then Paul says later, and we're not going to go back over this, but later after that in the same chapter, he talks about himself and he says, I'm willing to be offered. I'm willing to be poured out for you, for Christ, for the gospel, for your well-being. If, if so be that I'm offered up, he says. Offered up meant basically it was a, a term meaning poured out, like a, a drink offering that's just poured out. We've talked about that. When you pour something out, you pour it out. It's not like you're you know, it's, it's something liquid, and you're pouring it out, and it all, it all goes. And, and that's the, the picture that his life would be a drink offering poured out to God in whatever way that would benefit the Philippians in their walk with Christ. So even though he's in prison, he has a longing for them to do well. We see it over and over again. That's why he says, do everything without disputings and murmurings and, and without strife and vain glory and that type of thing. But he holds up Christ as an example. He says, I myself am willing to be poured out. He's not being arrogant. He, he meant what he was saying. That would be an encouragement to them to know somebody that loved them like that, that God loved them through this man, Paul. Then he held up, and we talked about uh, Timothy last week, 
uh, or Timotheus, as he's called in verse 19, and Paul commends him. Paul's not afraid to commend other people. He doesn't take away from him or his walk with the Lord or how God's using him. That's a wonderful thing, by the way. We're kind of touching on, on that every time. That genuinely, honestly, not a flattery like, let's say, Fed comes. He's a preacher in California, and he comes and preaches in our church, and I spend the first hour talking about how wonderful Fed is. And then when Fed comes up to preach, he sp spends the second hour talking about how wonderful I am. And everybody's just clapping for Fed and then clapping for me. It's not like that. It's this genuine uh, holding up the Lord, uh, a man of God that ought to be held up, and then moving on. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing when it's genuine. Let's put it that way, when it's genuine. It's genuine. So I'm just backing up real quickly about Timothy. Look at verse 20. Paul, Paul says, I'm, I'm, Timothy was with Paul, not in jail, not arrested, but he was in Rome there with Paul. They still had communication and fellowship. And, he's, and he wanted to send him back to the Philippians. He was in, in prison, didn't know exactly when he was going to get out or if he'd get out. He wanted to check on the Philippians. He says, I want to send Timothy. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally, that means sincerely, care for your state. For all seek their own and not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, okay? Uh, so he held up Timothy and said, I don't have anybody like Timothy that's like-minded. Literally means of the same mind, one mind. It meant, when I looked it up, of one soul. They were just knit together in their love for God and their love, their service to God and their love for the Philippians and the believers and their desire for them to do well. Timothy would have been a great ambassador for the Lord. And he would have been a great ambassador that Paul could trustingly send to them on his behalf. He wouldn't be worried about how Timothy was going to behave or anything. Now he talks about Epaphroditus. This is the only time this man is mentioned in the Bible. Well, not the only verse, but the only book. He, and so most people uh, unanimously believe he was a member of the Philippian church. And what had happened, and we'll, we'll talk about it more as we go, but when Paul was arrested in Rome the Philippians heard about it and they wanted to check on him not only did they want to check on him they wanted to send him a gift and a message a message of encouragement and some type of either financial gift or material blessing for Paul in Rome okay which was a good thing they sent it by the hand of Epaphroditus there's a 700 mile journey that he had to make this was no little thing like jump on a plane and get there or, you know, uh, you know, ride horseback for a day and a half, and he's there. 700-mile journey. So Epaphroditus is spoken here, and he brought, uh, just, just hold your spot there and look at chapter 4, verse 18. Chapter 4, 18. This is how close to the end of this epistle. But I have all in abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And so there was some sacrifice the Philippians had made of their own, and sacrifice is always involved in serving others. If it's, you know, uh, to give out of our need, to give out of, for the needs of others, in the name of the Lord, 
okay, is, is part of Christianity. And so these Philippians got it. They, they sent a gift by the hand of Epaphroditus to Rome, to Paul in prison. And so evidently, just from the context of reading, after he brought the gift, Epaphroditus stayed there. And he stayed there. It does not necessarily mean he was locked up in jail, but he stayed there. And whatever the circumstances exactly were, he, Timothy was able to come to Paul. Epaphroditus was able to come to Paul. And they had, were able to have communion and fellowship and actually bring him stuff and minister to him. He actually ministered to Paul's uh, needs. Well, either on the journey there or while he was there, Epaphroditus got sick, like very ill, like nigh unto death, the Bible says. And then Paul determines, even though he, Epaphroditus was ministering to Paul's needs and being a blessing to him, he said, no, you need to get back to your church. They're worrying about you. You're worrying about them worrying about you. And, you know, go, go back. To, and he, he sends him back. And so this, this is another example, I think, of unselfishness. If somebody's, if you're in prison and you had a, a, a Christian friend going above and beyond ministering to your needs somehow, you know, that would be like cutting off your right arm to send them back. But he says, no, you go, you, get, you go back to, the, to your church. And I think about the unselfishness just as I was studying this, that when the relationship with the head is right, like everybody in this room, if, if you and I have, are in right relation, not that we're perfect, but we're walking in obedience to the Lord, we're walking hearing his voice and haven't left our first love. When our relationship with the head is right, then you see a beautiful relationship between the people. And there's not strife and vainglory. It can pop up and raise its ugly head. But when we're all walking uh, in right with the head, then you're going to see healthy, healthy, godly Christian relationships. Paul's, Paul's wanting to bless the Philippians. He's getting blessed by this man. They're wanting to bless each other genuinely. And he says, no, it's time for you to go back. I can do without your service. Your church is worrying about you. And you're worrying about your church, worrying about you, because they heard you were sick, nigh unto death. You go home to them. And it's just a beautiful thing. I know it sounds simple, but you don't find that in the world. Not that at times you don't find relationships that are above and beyond in the world. But in the house of God, when our relationship is right with God, everything else is taken care of. Everything else is taken care of. In, in our relationship with each other. So I thank the Lord for that. But he sends him back, and he sends him back, guess what, with this epistle. Epaphroditus brings the epistle that we're reading back with him from Paul, from prison to Philippi. It's kind of interesting when you, when you look at all that. And so Paul commends Epaphroditus. He calls him my brother. All right, if we're looking at verse uh, 25. And in, in this epistle, he commends him as his brother. That signifies his affection is, you know, equally yoked in Christ. He calls him his companion in labor. That signifies hard work. He calls him his fellow soldier. That signifies conflict, that we're soldiers of Christ and there's a battle going on. And basically what we see from Epaphroditus, whatever he did, it was a huge blessing to Paul. It was a help 
to Paul. And so let's look at one scripture real quickly. Keep your spot there and turn to Romans 12. There are some gifts that are mentioned, not Galatians gifts of the Spirit, but these are gifts of the Spirit and, and uh, Christian fruits, I guess you would say. Romans chapter, I'm sorry, not Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. And God had set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing. Look at this little word, helps. Governments, diversities of tongues. That little word, help, helps is just stuck in there. And you know, everybody's not an apostle. Everybody is not necessarily, everybody can be used by God to do miracles, but everybody's not necessarily walking just with, in a, in a special ministry, I guess you would say, of healings or miracles. But everybody can be filled with the Spirit and, I believe, have this ministry of helps. You know what I mean? Where we help. We help where help is needed, whatever that is, and probably 99.99% of the time it goes unnoticed. That's okay, too, because the Bible says that the Lord is not unrighteous to forget your labor and that you have ministered and do minister to the saints. We do it in his name. He's not forgetting, I promise you. And so evidently we see also in, in Epaphroditus, and I don't believe I'm reading too much in it, we see humility he didn't have to have the spotlight. It was Paul was the apostle. Epaphroditus was not. Okay, Timothy was not. Timothy became the pastor at the church of Ephesus, and he was okay with that. And I'm putting okay, okay, kind of facetiously. We need to be okay with where God puts us. We want to serve God. We want to do for the Lord. Uh, David said in the Psalms, "I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness." Just being okay with serving the Lord, and God will grow us. Don't ever forget, David was a kid shepherding sheep, and nobody thought anything of that little job he had, that responsibility. God was training him to be a shepherd of his people, Israel. Okay? So don't, don't forget that. But we have to be okay with that. In other words, if God had just continued to meet with David on the hillsides, playing his harp and watching the sheep and killing a bear when it came to attack and a lion when it came to attack, uh, David would have been okay with that, but God was preparing him for something more. Jonathan was somebody that was okay being a friend in the Lord to David and helping him how he could. This, those kind of people are very special, and God raises them up. Amen? So uh, he calls him your minister, your messenger at the end of verse 25. He's my companion, my, my labor, my brother, my fellow soldier, your messenger. That word messenger means apostle. does not mean one of the 12 apostles, like the office of an apostle, like Peter or James or, 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 or Paul. But it meant a messenger in the, in the purest sense. He was a messenger. Most people believe he was an elder in the church in Philippi. He did have a position as an elder in the church. And uh, he was longing, he had a heaviness, he said, to go back, for he longed, verse 26, at, six after you all, and was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he had been sick. So what he's there, he's, he had been sick nigh unto death, 
Now he's longing to go home, not because he's homesick per se. He's longing to go home to let them know he's okay so they weren't sorrowing too much for him. All right, again, it's so much consideration of the other. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So uh, the, there was mercy in the fact that God healed him. There was mercy in, in the fact that he didn't die, okay? Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. We're going to take just a few minutes uh, to talk about this. When Paul says, I send him, therefore, in verse 28, I send him, therefore, the more carefully. That means earnestly, hastily, hastily, I, I got him, I sent him right off, okay, to head to you. And so Paul knew that Epaphroditus' safe return back to the church, home church in Philippi, was going to comfort the believers there. That's why he determined to do it. And then he says, hold such a one in reputation. That mean, literally means to honor such a one. So again, it doesn't say flatter. It doesn't say get him on your good side so in a little while he'll do something for you and reciprocate. It means to honor them. Honor them. And you, you and I honoring God doesn't take away anything from us, does it? You understand what I'm saying? You and I genuinely honoring someone else doesn't, doesn't take away from us. It's just it, it's what we're called to do. And we can do that without problem when, as I said, we're in we're like right relationship with the head. But I just want to talk for a moment. The Bible does say we know honor to whom honor is due. And I'll read this from 1 Thessalonians 5. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So who Paul was talking about in the, to the Thessalonians, he was saying esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Their service to God, their service to the gospel of Christ, esteemed them very highly. And I know we've, we've talked a lot about that the last few weeks, but I just think that it's something that's missing. We see plenty of the flattery. We see plenty of the, I'm going to do this because I know that they'll do it back for me. And we'll make each other look really good. But this was more of a Christ-likeness, a more genuine esteeming. And again, it, did, did it take away from Paul to commend Timothy? No, we're still talking about Paul. No one like him, right? Did it take away from John the Baptist to, to glorify Jesus Christ? We're still talking about John the Baptist. Jesus said that not all the prophets that have ever been born, there's not been one greater than John the Baptist. And John is saying, I must decrease and he must increase. And it's both genuine. It's genuine. And that's what makes it so wonderful. And, and of the Lord. And so we give honor to whom honor is due. But the comfort was uh, the mercy of God, where he says God had mercy on Epaphroditus and that he healed him. Okay. And that healing uh, was a blessing to Paul. And it was a, because he would have been so sorrowful had Epaphroditus died. And it was a blessing to the church because they would have been overcome with sorrow. But I just a couple of points about sickness. Sickness is not always the result of sin. And you may not have heard that, but in some Christian circles, uh, sickness, you're not to confess that you're sick, 
sickness is uh, in, in some people's minds always the result of sin or a lack of faith. Sin or lack of faith. I don't believe that. I don't think we see that. Epaphroditus traveled 700 miles with a message in God's will to do the work of the Lord. And he got sick nigh unto death. As I said, either on the journey or after he was there. Probably on his way there in that traveling. And we don't see it as a result of sin. We don't see it as a result of lack of faith. That's just one thought. Okay. Sometimes we get sick. God allows it. He allows us to be sick. We're all sinners, saved by the grace of God, but our sickness is not always a result of sin, a specific sin. Sometimes it may be, okay? David might maybe in the Psalms when you read through there, it is his sin that he committed. Um, another thought about healing in the Lord. Sometimes God delays his healing. We know that very well. We preached not long ago and talked about about the Lord raising Lazarus after his body was decaying. He was beyond sick. He was body was decaying in a grave. But sometimes the Lord delays healing. It's not always, I got sick and in my next breath I was well. I got sick and I cried out to God and 30 seconds later I was totally well. It doesn't mean he's not a healer. It doesn't mean that, that we're necessarily in sin. It doesn't mean we don't have the faith to be healed. It could be some of those things. God would show us. But sometimes God delays his healing it's going to be for his glory. For whatever reason, Epaphroditus was sick, and he got sicker, and he got sicker, and he got sicker, and he was nigh to death. Like, they thought he was going to die. And God had mercy and healed him. Amen? And thirdly, I said it before, healing in all cases is always the mercy of God. It's always the mercy of God. There were ten lepers that Jesus cleansed. One returned to give him glory, but they were all ten. They all ten cleansed, and they all ten were recipients of the mercy of God. Healing is always the mercy of God. Whether we recognize it, see it, honor him, glorify him, whatever, it's still the mercy of God. Anytime we're healed, if we've been sick for 20 years and then we're healed, it's still the mercy of God that we're healed. Amen? And so let's talk about this in, in the remainder. Verse, verse 30. Well, yeah, verse 30, because for the work of Christ. So we get a very close picture. He doesn't say because he got into horrible sin or he backslid or he compromised. Uh, no, for the work of Christ, he was made nigh unto death. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? Why did, what was it about Epaphroditus? What caused his sickness? It was his service to the Lord. We're not, we're not allowed to see any more than what we see here, but that's enough, right? For his service to the Lord, he was sick nigh unto death. Very, very sick. And it says he was sick nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service towards me, but not regarding his life. And I wanted to look at a couple of scriptures because I think to, to me from, from what I think the Lord would have us to focus on tonight is going to be that that thought right there just about the sacrifice for the Lord's sake and not regarding our lives unto death. I'm going to quote a couple of scriptures. When when those these uh, tribulation saints are talked about in 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 um, Revelation 12:11, it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And the word of their testimony, and I know you know the rest, they love not their lives unto death. 
even unto death. They didn't love their lives. That is, that's the one, the living martyr, the living sacrifice that God wants us all to be. And that is a work of the Lord. We did that whole series on the cross, dying to ourself, letting Christ live in, in us, through us, and being dead to ourselves. And here we see a good example. Epaphroditus loved not his life. He didn't regard his own life. He was going to make this 700-mile journey in the name of the Lord. It wasn't his own doing. He, it was the calling of God. And he was going to make it regardless of the cost to himself. When Paul was about on one of his missionary journeys and uh, with some of the believers, he was heading back to Jerusalem and there was a prophecy given, which was true, that this man's going to be bound. And, you know, I think Agabus gives this prophecy that the Apostle Paul is going to be bound and arrested and bound when he goes back to Jerusalem, which he was. The prophecy was a true prophecy. But the, the believers, when they heard this, they said, oh, they begged Paul, don't go back to Jerusalem. Don't go, don't go, don't go. You know, we believe the prophecy. He's a true prophet. He says you're going to be bound if you go back, please don't go. And he says, what mean you to weep and break my heart? I'm ready to go to Jerusalem, be bound, killed, whatever, whatever God has for me. And that's the thought, and that's the idea, and that's the living epistle and the living martyr and the living uh, fire that burns out for the Lord. And I read a wonderful quote about this thought and one man of God said it's better to burn out for Christ than to rust out I, I agree with that it's better to burn out for Christ than to rust out just get old and oh my time's over and that kind of thing we want to serve God we want to serve God until he calls us home we want to serve God while we still got a mind that works correctly and you know what I mean serve God while we can think clearly and love God, and that will be as long as he wants us to. That'll be as long as he wants us to. And we see this in Epaphroditus. So um, when, when it says here at the very end of the, the chapter that Epaphroditus came to supply your lack of service towards me, it almost sounds like that's a little dig, like y'all didn't serve me. That's not the right... Uh, I guess, wording or phrasing to translate. They did what they could do. They did all they could do. And Epaphroditus came and was able to do more. It was not a knock on the church at all at Philippi. I want you to look at chapter 4, verse 10, because this is where this is more cleared up. Philippians 4, 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. I just see it this. He say, he, he, Paul's not mad at him. He doesn't, he doesn't think they didn't do enough. They did all they could do. But God sent somebody else who could m physically minister to his needs and minister to the man. He said he greatly ministered to my needs. Epaphroditus did. And so that, that's all that that means. They did what they could do. And it was sincere, and Paul was grateful and thankful. God made up some other needs that Paul had through this man of Epaphroditus, and I'm sure through Timothy and, and others as well. The last thing I really want us to focus on is that we see that when evidently Epaphroditus, when Paul sent him back, he went. Because they got this letter, 
right? And we're reading it. And I just wanted to touch on this just as we're, we're closing tonight that uh, when God sends us, there needs to be a yay and an amen on our part. Now, we've talked about that. I think we did like a five-part series last year. Or I forgot. I think it was last year on uh, the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and preach this gospel. It's not an argument. It's not a debate. It's not for some people. It's not if we'd like to. It's not when, you know, if the mood hits me. It's not. It's go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. If God sends me overseas, he sends me overseas. But, but I, I'm at least going to be doing what I'm doing here. And all of us are going to the world that God puts us in. And we're not to, we're not to go you know, debating or asking questions or him hawing around. We need to go. And we see this with Epaphroditus. They sent him 700 miles to Rome with a gift he got there, whatever the cost. Paul sends him home with this epistle. Evidently, he got there, okay? And they received the epistle. And so God sends his ministers, not just Epaphroditus. He sends us, and we are to go. And I thought of just a few examples. When the Lord called Moses, remember Moses kills the Pharaoh's uh, worker, slave driver, basically, and buries him in the sand and gets scared and leaves when it's found out. 40 years in the desert, and he's just there. 40 years. So he's 80 years old at this, this time, because he was 40 when he fled. And the Lord comes and speaks to him and says, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've come to deliver them. Go ye and stand before Pharaoh. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to tell him to let my people go. And I know that there was a little back and forth, but finally it says God called Moses, and it says that Moses went. Moses went. He went. He went to Jethro, his father-in-law, and says, basically asking his blessing, let me go back and uh, to my people. Check on them and check their well-being. He went. Uh, Elijah, God, God had said to Elijah, go show yourself unto Ahab this day. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab. Uh, Philip, the evangelist, was preaching in Samaria, and there was a great revival and the angel of the Lord said, Arise and go towards the south, uh, and unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. I thought about that because a lot of us, I, I, I would think it would be a common thing. Well, Lord, you're doing such great things here. Samaria was experiencing a great revival. Miracles and signs and wonders and salvations and baptisms and baptisms in the Holy Ghost. All kinds of great things. Great, the whole city was rejoicing. And the Lord says, I want you to go. And he arose and went. We just see this. This is how God would have us to respond when he calls us. Amen. Ananias. Ananias, that's all we really read about him. He was in Damascus. And Saul of Tarsus, on his way to persecute Christians, meets the Lord. And he gets saved. And, and he's blinded. And he goes into... Uh, the city of Damascus, and he's blind, I think, three days and nights without food or water and didn't, uh, couldn't see. And God comes to Ananias and says, I want you to go to my man Saul. He's, he's praying. Behold, he prayeth. And I want you to go lay your hands on him that he may receive his sight. You show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. But Lord, isn't he the persecutor of Christians? He says, go. He's a chosen vessel. I've chosen him. 
And he goes. And Ananias went his way, entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. The ministers of God, we go when he calls us. I have not always. God might have said, I want you to go share the gospel with so-and-so. Too busy right now. I got to get out of my car, go back in. It's raining. You know, I'm not, if I, I, if I had thought about it when I was in there, I would have done it, but I'm not going to do it now. Uh, we need to learn to go when God calls us. Amen. Go when God calls us. And I want to close just with this little, uh, I guess it was a poem or part of a song in one of the books I was studying. And D, you can come on up. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. And I believe that's a wonderful, simple way to be. Amen. There's just no other agenda. It's serving God. When he says to go, we go. We don't have a higher calling. He can call us home. He could take our life if he wanted to. If he says go, we need to go. Amen. Jonah should have learned that the first time, right? Not have to be swallowed by a whale and upchucked on the beach. But he went afterwards. Amen. He did go. And God calls us and we need to go. So I just want to close with that. Uh, the altars are open. But Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. God, I pray couple of things that you've spoken to my heart through this this chapter and this lesson tonight is about the the humility within the body of Christ genuine love for one another and not caring who gets the glory and who gets the limelight genuine service to the Lord that someone not regarding their own life in order to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve in his name other people God in the and the quickness to say amen, the quickness to go, the quickness to obey. God, we haven't always, I haven't always been quick to obey. Sometimes I have, sometimes I haven't. I pray you'd forgive me. I pray you'd change us and give us an obedient heart, a joyfully obedient heart that's quick to obey. Ananias obeyed and he got to lay hands on the Apostle Paul, he received his sight and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and became the greatest missionary the world's ever known. Ananias got to be part of that because when he told him to go, he went. Philip got to lead that Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord and bring, who would then bring the gospel back to that country. God, help us to be quick to obey that we don't miss the opportunities that you've given us. Help us to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and give us faith, God, and courage and boldness to obey you. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.